Grace and peace to you, faith family. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, uh, looking at the worship guide this morning, I did not extend the book of Romans. I didn't find a lost, uh, hidden message from Paul that I'm going to bring to you today. That was a mistyping on my part. We are starting a new series today, Road to Rome. And with that on my mind, I decided to preach from Romans chapter 21. Those of you who aren't laughing, go ahead and try to find Romans 21. Uh, We're going to be in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 21 today. I apologize for that. Acts 21, 17 through 26. If you have your copy of the word, please turn there with me as I read the word of the Lord this morning. And it says this, After we arrived in Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. And the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. After he had greeted them, he began to relate one by one the things which the Lord had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they began to glorify, they began glorifying God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you and about your and that you are teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself along with them, and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads, and all will know that there is nothing to to the things which they have been told about you, but that you yourself also walk orderly, keeping the law. But concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we wrote, having decided that they should abstain from the meat sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what is strangled, and from fornication. When Paul took the men, and the ne- then Paul took the men, and the next day, purifying himself along with them, went into the temple, giving notice of the completion of the days of purification until the sacrifice was offered for each one of them. This is the word of the Lord. Father, your servant has come this morning bearing a word from your word. May my words just be blotted out and your spirit go amongst the people. May our hearts be open to receive what needs to be said this morning, and may we be changed to be more like you. May the power of the gospel change the hearts and minds of those here this morning. May salvation be a day for day for a day for today. May you be glorified in all that is said and all that is done. And all these things we ask in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. For those of you who have not been with us for a while, we have just finished up a long series, uh, actually 15 weeks in the book of, uh, uh, book of Psalms. We did the Songs of Ascent. And now we're back in the book of Acts. Now again, if you haven't been here for a long time, we've actually been preaching uh, through the book of Acts for a few years now. And shockingly, we're actually going to finish the book of Acts this year. So we're going to finish uh, the book of Acts before Christmas. And that'll be another book that we have preached through. But if you haven't been here for the whole time, we actually do need to go back and get some context of what has happened in the book of Acts. It's going to help us understand what's going on in the, in the last part of the book of Acts. And since it's taken a few years to preach all the way to chapter 21, I'm not going to re-preach 21 chapters this morning. Instead, I'm going to give us a brief synopsis, a brief picture of what has taken place. Remember, if you will, that Luke is the author of the book of Acts. This is the second book that he has written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The first one bears his name, the book of Luke. Uh, This is the second composition. Both books, both Acts and Luke, were written to a person named Theophilus. 
He was asking about this Jesus, and so Luke decides to write about this person named Jesus. Uh, we do know that Luke is a physician, so when you read through the book of Luke and through the book of Acts, it's very detailed-oriented, as, this, as a physician would be. Uh, very detailed in certain areas, and a little bit more vague in others that aren't as important. But we do know, we do know Luke wrote both of these books. At the beginning of the book of Acts, we see the ascension of Christ, and we see the gathering of believers. Shortly after this, we, 50 days after this, we see the day of Pentecost. We see Peter preaching to the, three, pre- preaching to the uh, Jews as they leave the temple, and on that day, 3,000 souls were saved and baptized. Praise the Lord. And this is the birth of what we would call the church. Remember, before this point, there was no church. It was the Jewish people. It was, the, it was the nation chosen by God. And now, here in the book of Acts, we have the church being established. And that's important for us because we are, we are historically part of the church. We are the great, 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 great ancestors of the founding of this church. So we see our origins here. We also see the church grow. And not in the midst of blessing and uh, easy times. We see this in the midst of persecution. We see the church being persecuted greatly, not by outsiders, but by the actual Jews who are living amongst the Jewish Christians. And then in Acts, we see Stephen martyred, killed for his belief. And as he's stoned to death, he cries out, Father, forgive them. May your gospel go out and be proclaimed to all people. And standing there on the wayside, we, we hear about this man named Saul, standing there watching Stephen being stoned. The church is scattered. The church has moved out of Jerusalem. They thought they would end it by quashing it in Jerusalem, but what they did is they scattered to the othermost, and now the gospel is going to be proclaimed outside of the walls of Jerusalem. And as we continue the narrative here in Acts, we see Saul, the persecutor, step onto the scene. Saul, the one who wants to destroy the church. Saul, the, the zealous Jew who says, no, this church cannot stand. We've got to extinguish it where it is. But then Saul has a moment in his life as he travels to Damascus. This Saul meets the very Jesus who he's persecuting. And this Saul's life is changed forever. What a testament to us, those of us who sit here today, those of us who have met this Jesus, our lives are changed forever. Saul's life is changed. In fact, he's no longer called Saul. He now goes by the name of Paul. Paul is saved by grace. And Paul begins to preach the gospel. In Acts chapter 9, we see that Paul comes to Jerusalem for the first time as Paul. If y'all remember, the welcome was not the greatest welcome he could receive. Yeah, it was not. He was trying, he was trying to proclaim the gospel, but the Jews at that time, even the Christians at this time, were very afraid of him. This man was just here persecuting us, killing us, putting us in our graves, and yet here he is proclaiming the gospel. Well, Paul decides, and with the wisdom of the elders, to go away from Jerusalem. You see him travel up to Tarsus for instruction for a time. And in Jerusalem, we see Peter take over. And Peter begins to preach the gospel, the good news. And we see Peter start to go abroad to the churches that were scattered and preach the gospel. And something happens in Peter's life. He meets this man named Cornelius. What was unique about Cornelius? Well, Cornelius was not a Jew. You see, Peter, up to this point, was preaching exclusively to the Jewish people. And now he met a man who was a Gentile, not a Jew. 
And this caused Peter some consternation, some concern in his own life. Jesus, why am I preaching to these Gentiles? But through some visions, through some Holy Spirit speaking to his life, Peter preaches the gospel to the Gentiles. In Acts 10, 44, it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the gospel, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came to Peter were amazed. And listen to this, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out onto the Gentiles also. Praise be to God. I believe all of us sitting here today would not be sitting here if the Holy Spirit was not poured out onto the Gentiles. Praise be to God. So we see the Spirit of God go out not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And then we see Paul back on the scene in Acts. And if you remember, we went through three missionary journeys with Paul. The gospel is proclaimed not just near Jerusalem, but all throughout the, the lands near there, all the way up to the Turkey, modern-day Turkey, over to modern-day Greece. We see it proclaimed in Cyprus, Lystra, Philippi, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus, and many of the places in between. All throughout Paul's missionary journey, it was proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And now, here we are, Paul coming back to Jerusalem again. All this happened in about 25 years. So if you can picture all that, everything I just summarized, about 25 years. Since Christ's resurrection and ascension, it's been 25 years. The church is growing, and here we are. We are now going to journey with Paul as he heads off to Rome. I don't know if you remember the sermon series we had when we preached the book of Luke, when Jesus set his eyes on Jerusalem, on his destination, where he was going, where he knew he was going to die. Paul also has that destination in mind. We see that his eyes have been set to Rome. He has preached everywhere in the world, but at this time we know that the Roman Empire is the dominant empire. And Paul has in his heart, by the Holy Spirit, that he is going to proclaim the good news in the Roman Empire. And where better to go than to the one who is running the empire, Caesar himself. So as we journey through the last part of Acts, we're going to see Paul set his mind, set his eyes, and set his heart on the people of Rome. And he's going to travel there. Today we have kind of the intro to this journey, the beginning of this journey. What's going to set this journey on? And you're going to see through this that Paul, many, many times over, at least a few times, has the opportunity to kind of step back and say, you know what? I, I don't think I really want to go to Rome anymore. I think I'm going to step back and just be comfortable where I am. But time and time again, Paul is going to set his eyes and move towards Rome. Today we're going to see Paul bound by grace, free to live in Christ, but places himself under the law to reach those who are struggling with the law. Let's look at our verses this morning. As we start off in Acts chapter 21, in verse 17, we see after he arrived, or we arrived, in Jerusalem. Now as we study through the books that Luke has written, Many times he refers to this as we. Well, who are these we? Well, we don't know exactly everybody involved, but when, when Luke refers to the people as we, we know that Luke is with them. So here in Acts, Luke is with Paul, and he is traveling with him to Jerusalem. So we know for a fact that what we're about to read is going to be firsthand, firsthand knowledge that Luke has given to us. Luke was present. This is firsthand. This is not him going out and gathering information like other parts of uh, the, the book of Luke and other parts of Acts. This is Luke being there with them. So we're going to have a first-hand account of what has happened here. And it says that as they arrived, they were received gladly. They were received by the believers in Jerusalem gladly. 
A few weeks ago, Pastor Donnie preached. By the way, let me say something about Pastor Donnie. If y'all are wondering where he's at, they're sick today. Uh, pray for their family. They're under the weather, so that's why they're not here this morning. But a few weeks ago, Pastor Donnie preached from Psalm 133. Y'all remember what one, Psalm 133 said? No? No one? Flip back there real quick. We'll read the first verse from Psalm 133. Psalm 133 says this, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that? And so here we have the, the Jewish church receiving their brothers gladly in unity. Hey, we are glad that you are here. We're glad that you've gathered with us. How pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. You see, this is exactly how brothers and sisters in Christ should welcome each other when we meet each other. We should gladly receive each other. We should, glad, we should be excited to see each other. I mean, sometimes we actually have to show it on our faces when we see each other. We might actually have to, dare I say it, smile at one another and say, hey, I'm glad you're here. Sometimes it's tough. Ken, you laugh about that, but sometimes I just smile to say good morning to you. But yes, we smile and we greet each other kindly because you know what? We've been received into a family greater than this greater than our earthly family, we received in the family of God with joy and with welcome. And how much more can we welcome those brothers in Christ to our congregation here this morning? We welcome them gladly. This is how we're supposed to receive each other. You see, there's a warning in the Bible also of the opposite of this. Very often we hear the, the promise of, hey, you need to welcome people gladly or do these things. And very rarely do we hear the other side of that. We have to infer the other side of those things. But welcoming people into our congregation or, or creating that, that welcoming atmosphere, there's actually something on the negative of this. If actually we go back to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, we hear Solomon talk about this welcoming atmosphere of the body of believers. It says this, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, Feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and, ready for this, one who, who spreads strife among brothers. If it is an abomination for us to spread strife among our brothers, then we must absolutely, by command of God, do the opposite. Let us welcome one another. Let us joyfully welcome one another and be welcoming to the stranger at the same time. You see, this warm welcome is what should be expected. It's expected of the church. I hope each and every one of us, as we get gathered this morning, we have warmly welcomed one another. I hope that after we are done singing and worshiping together, that we, work, we again warmly welcome one another into our family and just say goodbye. And this week as we gather again together, welcome each other warmly as they did here. But I want to caution us here because it seems like this is going to be a good trip for Paul. This is all going to be cupcakes and ice cream. But we know that where Paul travels, he brings the word of the Lord. He brings the gospel. And if there's ever a dividing sword in our world today, if there's ever a dividing sword in the time of Paul, it is the gospel. The gospel brings division. The gospel sets brothers against sisters, mothers against child. It is a dividing line. And Paul will bring the gospel. And we're going to see later on that this gospel is going to absolutely divide Jerusalem amongst those who are believers and those who are not. As we continue, we see that uh, Paul continues on, and he's met by James and all the elders who are present. 
Well, this James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. If y'all remember in uh, the, the Gospels, this is the James who would be associated with them calling out Jesus during his time of ministry, saying, Jesus, you're embarrassing us as a family. Please go inside and stop talking about this nonsense that you're talking about. This is that James, the half-brother of Jesus. This is also the James who wrote the book of James. Something happened in this man's life. From calling out Jesus, Jesus, you're embarrassing us, come on inside. And by the way, I know how that feels. I mean, y'all probably know how it feels also when a family member says, hey, you're embarrassing us, stop it. This is the James who would call Jesus, the Son of God, out saying, you are talking crazy, get inside this house. Well, something happened to this man. I think, I think he saw the resurrected Savior. He saw his resurrected half-brother and said, oh, oh, that is Jesus. That is the Son of God. This is that James that we're talking about. James would be the, the, the lead pastor, if you would, of the Church of Jerusalem. The Church of Jerusalem at this time is going through some, some things, some persecution. But we see here that he is greeted by James and the other elders. And after they greet him, guess what Paul begins to do? He begins to tell them all about his mission trips and the trips he has taken abroad. This is not something that is strange to him. This is not something that's out of the ordinary for him. In fact, this is a very ordinary thing for Paul to do. If we actually just flip back a couple chapters in Acts 14 and Acts chapter 15, we see Paul do this exact same thing. This is a rhythm for him as he gathers with believers. It says in Acts 14, 27 is when they had arrived and gathered to the church together, they began to do what? Report all things that God had done to them and how he opened doors of faith to the Gentiles. And in Acts 15, again, when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. Well, this is very interesting that this is Paul's rhythm. I was sharing with my missional community just the other day, or a few weeks ago, I had an opportunity to have lunch with a friend of mine who was on the mission field down in Peru. And after we sat down and talked about things that we caught up about the family and how things are going, you'll never guess what two preachers talked about for the better part of an hour and a half, that's probably two hours, let's not lie. What do you think two pastors sitting down would talk about as we got together? You're right, the things God has been doing in our lives. It seems that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Paul's rhythm is the rhythm of the believer. When we gather together, aren't we excited to talk about the things God has done in our lives? Aren't we excited to talk about Jesus and the things he's been moving and doing and the things we have seen? Maybe we're not excited about those things because this week we were so overwhelmed with the things of the world that our eyes had not been set on the things of God. They were distracted by the things of the world. But I want to I I proclaim to you today what a healthy, a healthy situation is for us, what a joyous situation for our hearts when we can sit down with brothers and sisters and talk about the things that God has done for us. I want you to think back to the last time you had that conversation where maybe it was in a, a missional community gathering or maybe it was just having lunch with a friend. But you sat down and talked about the things God was doing in your life. Did you leave there beat up? Wore out? Tired? I bet you left there excited, rested, joyous, saying, man, God is good. Faith family, I call us today. We need to spend more time like this, extolling the things God has done in our lives. Even if it's the small things. Man, God made us, God, God sustained me through another week of work. <laughs> it was a tough week. But he sustained and held me, and I made it. Praise be to God. Or if it's the big things, man, 
I was excited last week, those of you who were here, I got to see my son baptized. How exciting is that? Praise the Lord. We need to spend more time with our brothers and sisters talking about the things God has done. Spending time saying, God, you have been so good to us. What joy it is to know that you are our Father. It's like a cool breeze on the hot summer days we've had. Y'all have been there. Remember how hot it's been this past summer? That little cool breeze comes blowing through when it goes from 95 to 92, and you go, ah, oh, how refreshing. How refreshing. Man, that is good for our soul, to be refreshed in the things of God. This is Paul's rhythm. Hey, if it's Paul's rhythm, if it's good enough for Paul, you know what? It should be good enough for us. Let's make that a rhythm, by the way. Find some time to sit down with your brothers and sisters and just talk about what God has done. As we read through the Word of God during the week, man, look what God has shown me in His Word. Look how good God is to us. And see how refreshed we are. If you notice, this is the first thing that Paul does. This is the first thing he does. Every time he goes to the place, let me tell you what God is doing. Let me tell you about the God who does wonders in the Gentile world. Let me tell you about the God who saves souls. Let me tell you about the God who allows me to baptize over and over again those believers. Oh, how good our God is. Isn't that the first thing we should be on our minds and our hearts also? Oh, let me tell you how good my God is. Hmm. And here's the response they have. What a right response. And when they heard these things, what did they start to do? They began to glorify God. We heard the good news. They rightfully glorified God. Not Paul. Yes, Paul had been the missionary who had gone out and done these things. It was Paul, his words, his actions doing these things. But they rightfully praised God because it is God and God alone who deserves praise. You see, this is not the gospel that Paul created. Paul did not die on a cross for our sins. Paul did not go to a, 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 uh, a sinner's uh, cross because he deserved to do these things. No, it was Christ who did these things, and it's God who deserves the praise for them. Paul just gets to be the messenger bearing the good news. God is the one who saves lives. It is him who we glorify. You know, part of the Reformation and part of our foundational beliefs here was the five, is the five solas. And one of them, sola deo gloria, to God be the glory alone, needs to be the resounding sound of our hearts. You see, even before Martin Luther pinned those on the doors of the, of the church, we see Paul teaching the church solo deo gloria. It is for God's glory alone. When we proclaim the good news of the gospel, when people come to salvation, we praise God and God alone. Yes, we may be the ones who get to do the work. We may get to walk the walk and talk the talk, but it's God and God alone who deserve the praise. This is good for us to know. This is good for us to be reminded that Paul and James and the elders of the church they knew long before Martin Luther ever existed that it's for God's glory and his glory alone that we do these things. This is the proper response for us today in 2023. That as we see God moving the lives of the people around us, we give him praise and we give him glory. You see, it's very easy for us to hear the good news around us. It's very easy for us to hear about a church across town or maybe in a different city saying, hey, we had 20 people baptized this week. It's very easy in our hearts to kind of get bitter or jealous. Go, man, why didn't we have that here? Is that what God is telling us to respond to the word being preached and proclaimed? No, we should celebrate with that church. If the gospel goes out and 20 people are saved across town, praise be to God. We celebrate with our brothers and sisters in Christ. If one is baptized, we celebrate and praise God. 
You see, we can't be jealous of other ministries. We're not in competition. We are not a silo ministry here. We are part of the greater church. We are part of the church that Christ died for. A church right around the corner. There's not a different Jesus who died for them. It's the same Jesus that we worship and, and trust today. And we're not in competition. We celebrate with them. When they have to go to two services because the doors are breaking open because so many people are coming to Christ, we say praise be to God and God alone. You see, we can't be jealous people and still praise God. The church in Jerusalem, under persecution, was hearing the news of churches being planted and growing and prospering. Their, their response could have been very simple. Man, why are we not growing that way? And why are we being persecuted? But what is their response? Praise be to God. You see, we could say all the other solas. We believe in the scriptures alone. We believe faith alone, grace alone. Christ alone, but if we miss all to God's glory alone, all the other things don't even matter because we start to do it for our glory. We start to do it for our benefit. And let me tell you, church, that's a dangerous place to be in. No one sitting in these aisles, no one sitting in these pews right now, these chairs, is free from sin. And none of us can say it's for my glory. Because I don't think any single one of us was there when God said, let there be, and there was. Not a single one of us were sitting there where Job was, and God said, okay, Job, pull it up, put it in your big boy pants. Where were you when I measured the depths of the ocean and told the mountains how high they can go? That's not us. You see, for us, we get to partake in the beauty of Christ. We get to partake in these things. We get to be a part of it. We are drawn into the family by the grace of God, and because of that, we get to glorify God and God alone. You see, Paul and the elders rightfully praise God because he is the one worthy of praise. You see, this fellowship of believers here is learning that this is not about us. Christ the King Baptist Church, I want to let you know, this is not about us. This gathering is not about us. It is about Christ and Christ alone. We give glory and praise. When we sing songs, it's not to hear our own voices. It's not to hear how well we sing and how well we carry a note. If you can't sing and you can't carry a note, that doesn't mean you can't sing and sing praises to God because it's not for you. It's not for the person next to you. It's for God and God alone. But all this praise, all this worship of God is not in a vacuum. You see, the church of Jerusalem was a real place. The church of Jerusalem is a real place with real issues, going through real persecution. And as we continue, we, said, uh, we see that the elders tell, to, tell Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands are among the Jews of those who have believed. Praise the Lord they believed. And they are zealous for the law. This is where we start to find some issues going on. You see, while they were glorifying God for the news that Paul was bringing, they're giving a mixed report about what's happening to the believers here in Jerusalem. There are thousands of believers, thousands of believers believing in Jesus, but yet they cling to the law of Moses. See, God was very patient with the Jewish Christians during this transition, knowing how difficult it would be for them to break from their past, from their history. God eventually would send a letter to the Jews, the book of Hebrews, instructing them on the right relationship between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. In essence, it was a book to tell the Hebrews, stop being so Hebrew. But until that time, there was a transition period here where Jesus was being proclaimed as the Lord and Savior, and the Jews in Jerusalem were struggling with this because they had grown up in a culture believing in the, the rules and laws of Moses. This transition provided fertile ground among the zealous Jews 
and Jewish Christians for false teachers to step in and tell them things that were not true to the scriptures. In fact, we've talked about this group of people before, the Judaizers. These Jews who were so against the word of God, so against the, the good news of Jesus, that they would go in and sow dissent amongst the people. In fact, we just flip back to Acts 15, chapter 1, or chapter 15, verse 1. It says, some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren. Ready? Here's what they're teaching. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You see the struggle that the church was having. On one hand, we have Christ crucified. By grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves as a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And on the other hand, we have, well, Moses told us to circumcise our young men. He told us to go to the temple and told us to sacrifice. What do we do? Fertile ground for Judaizers to come in and so dissent amongst the believers. So here we have Paul coming into this situation and saying, man, what do we do with this? How do we get these believers to understand the right relationship between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant? You see, unlike us today, we have the full word of God at our fingertips. They don't have that. They don't have that. So they have to listen to the men who are proclaiming the good news. You see, even if we're, I guess we call them an old believer in here, we've been saved for many years of our life, or if we're a new believer in here, we all have those situations where we think, oh, this is what God has said. And we hang on to these traditions, these, I guess we, we call them a sacred cow. We think this is what God has said as we cling to them so greatly. But as we read through the word of God and we discover rightly that, man, what I'm hanging on to is just old tradition. I mean, one of the things that was a struggle here at Christ that came back to his church is when we said, hey, you know, we're going we're gonna to remove Sunday school. Oh, you can't do that. That's biblical. That's in the, I mean, that's like Paul 333 somewhere, right? It's got to be in there. Like, look in Romans 21. That's probably where it's at. Right? These are those sacred cows that we have. We hang on to them so tightly because they are our culture, our religion. We hang on to them. But yet when we find the Word of God telling us exactly how we're supposed to do things, we go, you know what, not quite. Not quite. You know, one of those things, I was just thinking of this, one of the things that we hang on to so tightly is the, is the tithe. We, the tithe. Now, this is going to be a little bit of preaching. I know that preachers, as soon as they start talking about money, people check out because, you know, the person up here is greedy and can't listen to them. But, man, the Bible talks about money, so I'm free to talk about it. We cling on to this tithe This is 10%. Oh, yeah, you go to Malachi, you can see it says 10%. Fantastic. I'm, I'm thankful that it's in there. Man, but Jesus steps on the scene. He says, you give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and you give unto the Lord what is the Lord's. You, you go to God and you say, God, what am I to give? What am I to give? What have you called me to give to your, to your church? You see, this 10% is pretty easy. I don't have to go to God to know 10%. I just hear it. 10% is easy. I don't have to go to God and, and hear him. I think it's fearful of us when we hang on to those traditions like that. Because what if God says, like he said to the young, the young rich man, sell everything you have? That's scary. That's fearful of us. You see, by grace are we saved, but man, our tithe, that's not under grace. <laughs> by grace we're saved, but we don't give through grace. We give through the old covenant. Mm. You see, we have our own issues here, don't we? We have these traditions that we cling on to because they're easy for us. They're comfortable for us. 
But we're going to see today that Paul is going to free us from those things. And by the way, we're freed in Christ. We are free people. Free people. The first thing I want us to know is the fellowship of believers here. Again, we get together, we glorify God. Our fellowship is not because we've chosen to come together. Just look across the room today. What a weird bunch of people we are, myself included. But oh, the grace of God that brought us together so we can glorify our King rightly together. Is that not good? Solo Deo Gloria, for God's glory alone. And I want to warn us that, hey, even as the Jewish church was bound by tradition, we ourselves can find ourselves bound by tradition. But as the fellowship together, we encourage one another. We bring each other back to the grace that God has extended to us. And we say, hey, by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, all for his glory alone. Amen, church? So as we continue through this, this uh, journey into Jerusalem, by the way, Paul, Paul is not a very, I don't know if, you, if there was wanted posters back in the day, I'm sure Paul had a couple out there. Uh, but we're going to see now this, this change in the welcoming of the church the, the, the joy of celebrating what God has done into the situation that Paul has found himself in. As we continue on in verse 21, they say, hey, and they've been told about you, Paul. Things have been said about you. I don't know about you, but if, if someone comes up to me and says, hey, you know, someone said this about you. Typically, what's going to follow after this is typically not something I've said or probably something I said way out of context. Again, like I said earlier, the more things change, it seems the more things stay the same. It says, things have been said about you, Paul, that you were teaching all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. You can almost feel the change in the atmosphere here. Paul, man, we're celebrating God, but hey, let's calm down. Some things have been said about you, Paul. They're saying that you're not a Jew. They're saying you've forsaken all your Jewish ways. You're going out amongst these Gentiles. You're saying that the Jews out there don't have to follow the law of Moses anymore. Hey, we praise God for the salvation of the Jews, but Paul, there's some rumors that need to be addressed. Some stories going around that you need to clarify. Well, we can rightly assume that it is the Jews who are told these false beliefs that keeping the law made you righteous before God. Remember, the Judaizers were the ones who were spreading it. Hey, you can't be saved unless you're circumcised. That's under the, under the law. They're wrongly being told you're made righteous in the law. Well, faith family, just, the, just like the Jews of the first century, they have to realize that the law, even given to the Jews, was not made to save anybody. When Moses came down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments were not there to save anybody anybody we're going to find out further on what they were there for but they were not to save you see even right now the jews are going through this climate saying hey well the tradition tells us we got to do these things to be saved but paul's preaching that we don't have to do these things which one is right see the current climate here in jerusalem is fertile for all these rumors to grow this was an intense time of jewish nationalism a lot of political unrest. Remember, there's one insurrection, insurrection after the other that rose to challenge the Roman overlords. Felix brutally suppressed every last one of them. Not just the Jewish church, but the Jews themselves were under massive persecution. This is only going to increase the hatred for Rome, only increase the Jewish hatred for the Roman Empire, 
and inflame these anti-Gentile sediments. You can only imagine the powder keg that Paul is walking into. Not only am I proclaiming that the Gentiles now can be saved and part of this covenant, but the Jews need to be saved and become part of this covenant also. I can imagine the Jews who are just being persecuted daily by the Romans, the hate they have for Rome, saying, Paul, why are you bringing this Jesus to the Romans? Why are you bringing anything to these Gentiles out there? Isn't this meant for us? Aren't we the chosen people? Aren't we the special ones selected by God? This is a tense moment. You can feel the tension in the room with these elders saying, Paul, you've got to do something about this. You've got to address this. Well, Paul, Paul's claim to the Gentiles, well, it can only fan the flames. If you're telling them that they don't have to be circumcised, well, you're telling them they don't have to be Jewish to be saved. You can see how these rumors would gain traction. You can see how this would incite some insurrection amongst the church and the Jewish people. You can see this going on. See, Paul told the Jews to, Paul told the Jews to forsake Moses, don't circumcise their children. Well, they wanted, if Paul, if you said that, we're going to start some mess if you say these things. Well, let's look at what Paul actually said. These allegations against Paul, pro, uh, there's a serious threat here to the Jerusalem church efforts, evangelizing the Jews. This would also draw false conclusions about what Paul has already said and his rejection of the Jewish heritage. Paul never rejected his Jewish heritage. All this was done with no charity to what Paul has already proclaimed. All the works and the words of Paul, very little charity was given. Have you ever been in those situations where there's somebody that you just want to disagree with, that you just dislike for no other reason than they just want to, you just want to disagree with them? A lot of times in our politics we get this way, right? We choose a side on politics, and when that other person says something, even if it's something you might agree with, you've got to find that little in somewhere and say, see, they're, they don't know what they're talking about. I disagree completely with what they said. Even if, let's just say we have two presidential candidates, and you're for one and against the other. And on stage, they both say the exact same thing. The exact same thing. Guess what you'll do? You'll agree with one, and you'll tear down the other because they're wrong. That's the nature of humanity. By the way, we do the same thing in our church, in our faith family. We might find someone we just don't really want to agree with. We disagree with them. So every time they say something, we, we take what they say without charity of what they have done, and we tear it apart and want to tear them down. This is what's happening right now with Paul. Paul has said and done many things, but has he said, don't circumcise your children, Jews? Did he say, forsake the law of Moses completely? Well, I'll tell you what, let's take a look at what Paul's done to find out if these rumors are true. If we turn over to Acts 15, chapter 15, verses 10 through 11. Let me flip over there real quick. We have the Jerusalem Council. We're going to see what Paul has to say. In Acts 15, verses 10 through 11, he says, Now therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? He's talking about the law here. But we believe that we are saved through grace, through the grace of the Lord Jesus. In the same way they also were. Paul's talking about the law. Why are you saying that people have to abide in the law, have to be saved through the law? No one was saved in the law. No one was. Our forefathers were not saved in the law. We are not saved in the law. We are saved through Jesus Christ. And he even tells them, why are you trying to put a burden that we can't even bear on these new believers? This is nonsense. 
In the same way, you and I are saved through Jesus. Paul, in the Jewish faith, they were saved through Christ also. Nothing has changed. It is in Christ and Christ alone that we find salvation. So, of course, the very first thing Paul could say is, I've been preaching the exact same thing over and over again, that we're saved through Christ, not the law. If they want to take that out of context, they need to take that up with God and God alone, because he's the one who said that. Well, how about the circumcision? Paul, you're teaching people not to circumcise people. Well, my goodness, what did he do just a couple chapters ago with Timothy? Timothy, you are of a Gentile and Jewish descent, but you're going to be preaching to the Jews. So what should you do, Timothy? Go be circumcised. Well, that seems weird. If Paul's against that, why would he go make a young man, a young man, not a baby, not a child, a young man go get circumcised? Because Paul was not against these things. He realized their place in the culture. He understood these things. Paul wanted this man to go with him. He took Timothy. He took Timothy to be circumcised. Timothy, you're a Jew and a Greek. Hey, we need to make this right if you're going to preach to the Jews. He circumcised him. So Paul could absolutely dispute these claims. You see how the, 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 the charitableness that's lacking here causes confusion and rumors? Brothers and sisters, this is not something that I'm going to preach on right now, but we need to be charitable to one another. I've been very guilty of this. I've been called to the carpet on this. I hear one thing, and I say something that they did not intend. Man, we need to be charitable to one another. The last thing we need in our congregation, the last thing we need in the Christian faith, is to hear a brother or sister of Christ say something, and us decide to take it out of context and start rumors that are going to destroy the very testimony that Christ has built up for himself. So we see, that the, we see that there's something going on here. Paul, there's a circumstance here. There's a situation. There's some rumors. This is not pretty. This is going to be ugly, Paul. You've got to do something. See, the church, the church elders here do not want to ignore this issue. They do not say, Paul, we're just going to sweep this under the carpet. We know what you've said. We believe you. We know these things, so don't worry about it. They're not going to do that. You see, those people were wrong for what they said about you, Paul, but you know, we're going to ignore it all. We're going to let them just be wrong. You see, this is not how they approach a rumor. This is not how they approach conflict within the church. By the way, we are not to sweep it under the rug either. If we have a problem with our brother or sister in Christ, we're to take it with another brother or sister and confront these things and talk about them. We're to find resolutions in this. And the Bible in Matthew tells us how to do those things. So they don't say, we're going to sweep this under the rug. They say, Paul, you and I and us, we need to address this situation. So what then is to be done? They ask that question. What is to be done? They certainly know that you're here, Paul. There's no denying that. We can't just keep you in hiding. We can't just keep you in a room and say, don't worry, Paul's not really here. They know you're going to be here. <laughs> That's pretty wise, isn't it? Let's try not to hide this thing. They're going to figure it out. The best kept secrets are the most openly known things in the world. Isn't that true? All of a sudden, the government reveals some top secret information and the American public goes, yeah, we've known that for generations. Nothing new. You keep the secrets, we'll figure it out. The leaders here say the same thing. We're not going to keep this a secret, Paul. They're going to know you're here. Therefore, do what we tell you. Now, this is very important. The elders have made a decision on what is going to be done. The elders have decided, Paul, we know what needs to be done. Okay, good. How does that relate to us today? Faith family, when our elders here at Pine Summit, as long as we're acting out of the word of God, if we've called you to do something from the word of God, well, we're going to see the testimony of Paul 
we ask you to follow and believe that God has called us to do those things. Paul, we know that you're here. What is to be done? It's not uncommon for Paul even to observe these Jewish traditions. And they even say, Paul, we have four men under a vow. This is the Nazarite vow or Nazarene vow. Uh, if you go back to Numbers chapter 6, you can read all about it. We won't go there today, but you can read about it. These men were separated for a time of separation for God's own use. Uh, during this time, they wouldn't shave. They wouldn't drink alcohol. They wouldn't partake in certain things. And at the end of this vow, they would actually, we're going to see here, take a, a cleansing ceremony. So they say, Paul, we have some men who are under a vow. Take them and purify yourself with them. This is interesting because Paul is not under this vow. He has taken this vow before. We've seen him do this. But maybe this purification is a representation of, Paul, you've been out with the Gentile people. When you come back to the Jewish people, why don't we go ahead and go through a ritual and cleanse yourself? Paul, we want you to kind of step back under the law. We want you to submit to the law that these people are living under. And we see here Paul is going to willingly submit to the law of the Jewish people. It's not uncommon, again, for Paul to observe these things. Again, we just talked about Timothy. In Acts chapter 16, we see Timothy being circumcised. Paul even observed the day of unleavened bread in Acts chapter 20. In fact, the reason he's here in Jerusalem right now, if you remember correctly, is he wanted to come here to observe the day of Pentecost. Paul's not opposed to the Jewish customs. He himself is Jewish. He does these things. In fact, we see him in Acts chapter 24. Further on, we're going to see him actually offer sacrifices and offerings in the temple. Lastly, Paul himself took the Nazarite vow on a previous occasion in Acts chapter 18 because we see him after the end of his vow shaving and cutting his hair. Paul was not going to be above this thing. He said, okay, if they want to live under the law, I will participate with them. He's going to participate with them knowing that this is not going to save anybody. He participates with them in the law saying this is not going to save anybody. This has not changed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul continued to know and continued to believe that he was saved by grace through God. It was by faith in Christ and not by the law. All the rituals in the world will not cleanse you of the sin that you have in your life. But all the unsaved Jews did not understand this. And to win them, he observed their rituals, their customs, and their traditions. Paul submitted to the laws set before him. 1 Corinthians 9, 19-23, this is why Paul did this. And by the way, it goes back to our first little section where we're talking about solo deo gloria. Listen to what Paul says. For, thou, for, though I am a, for, thou, for though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jew, I became as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those under the law, as under the law, though not myself being, I myself am under the law so that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. You see, it may seem odd for us as we see Paul free from the things of the world, free from the, free from the rule of Jewish custom, 
to step back into the Jewish custom and say, I will become Jew for the Jew. I will become poor for the poor, weak for the weak, lawless for the lawless. I will do it all for the sake of the gospel, that some may be saved. So that some may be saved. Faith family, today, if we are in Christ, we are free from the laws of this world. We are free from the rigors of the law. We are free in Christ. And we're going to talk about that here in a second, but we are also free to step back in and say, you know, I could partake with you. I know what it's like to be under the law. Let me, let me do this vow with you to show you that it's not, it's not the vow that cleanses us. It's not the rituals that save us. It's grace and grace alone that saves us. You see, we're sitting here today in 2023, United States citizens in what would be considered one of the freest nations ever created. And you would say, well, I don't understand what it's like for this Jewish people to have these customs and traditions. What is it like for them to have to do these things? Well, ours might not be as rigorous as theirs, but there are absolutely traditions and customs that we have. In fact, as we partake in these customs and traditions, I call us as the church to bring the gospel to bear on them like we see Paul doing right here. Y'all want to know some of them? Y'all are probably thinking through, what, what traditions do we have? Well, there's an unwritten rule that the 4th of July, you've got to light some things up and explode stuff in the sky, doing some fireworks, and you have to have a cookout. That's an unwritten rule. No other nation in the world observes July 4th. That's us and us alone. That's our custom. We take the day off. We cook some hamburgers, hot dogs. We go swimming. We go to the beach. We light off some fireworks because apparently that's the best thing we do to celebrate, and we enjoy that time. But what does it look like for a Christian to take that July 4th and say, hey, I'm going to partake in this, not because I have to do this, but because I want to do this for the sake of the gospel that some might be saved? Huh. That kind of changes our tradition, doesn't it? How about our Thanksgiving tradition? Well, we have to have a turkey. We have to get together. We have to eat. By the way, I have no problem with these traditions, by the way. I think they're great traditions. I love them. But what does it look like for us to celebrate Thanksgiving? And instead of thanking God for just the nation we have, but to bring the gospel to bear and thank him for sending Jesus, our Savior, and to have our lost friends over to enjoy a meal all centered around the Thanksgiving of the gospel. You see, Paul was taking the traditions of the Jews and he was using them for the gospel's sake. We see this all throughout his testimony. Words speak, or actions will absolutely speak louder than our words. Paul could have said all these things and never done one of them. But as Paul says, I became a Jew to the Jews, we see him become a Jew to the Jews. Faith family, if we say, let us bring the gospel to bear in our situations, our customs in the United States, but we never do that, our actions are going to speak louder than our words. So I call us today, as we submit ourselves to the laws of the land, we do them joyously. We do them with the intention that some might be saved. Paul did not submit to this thing just to appease the Jewish culture. It had been very easy for him to say, you know what, I'll do this so that they stop complaining about me. I'll prove that I'm still a Jew, that way they stop saying I'm not a Jew anymore. But that's not why he did it. That's not why he submitted himself to the law of the Jewish custom. He did it for the sake of the gospel. He did it so that some might be saved. Faith family, how many things do we do that we don't like so that some might be saved? I, I could say in my own life, I don't like to do the things I don't want to do. You know, sometimes we don't even like to go talk to our neighbor 
about Jesus, about the gospel. We don't like to do those things. We don't like to, to do the difficult things, but God has called us to those things. God has given us the good news of the gospel so we can go to the uttermost parts of the world, so we can go to the stranger, so we can proclaim the good news, all for God's glory. You know, it might not be as easy or simple as saying, hey man, there's a rumor about you, we need you to go do a custom and a ritual and shave your, shave your head and beard. Part of that's easy for me. Uh, but we do have those traditions, we do have those customs, we do have those barriers in the United States that we're so afraid to go across. I mean, we live in quote-unquote neighborhoods, but how many neighbors do you know? Right? We like to call them neighborhoods, but they're really just isolated dwellings. Faith family, if we are in Christ, we can be all things to all people. We can be all things to all people. It's, sometimes it's simple, right? Hey, for, for those people that you know that are unbelievers, but they're sports fans, go be a sports fan with them. Spend a Saturday watching football with them. Enjoy that time. Live as the gospel's called you to live and proclaim the good news. Right? Sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's not so easy. Walk across to your neighbor. Tell them how good Jesus is in your life. As we finish up our text today, we finish in chapter tw uh, verses 25 and 26. Says, but concerning the Gentiles who have believed, we have wrote, having decided that they should abstain from meat, sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from the strangled, and from fornication. You see, this is nothing that's very new. This is almost a reiteration. You see, the Jews at this time would have seen the Gentiles doing these things and not partaking in the Jewish custom as a barrier. They can't be saved because they haven't partaken in the Jewish custom. Paul, again, is going to bridge that gap and say, listen, they don't have to partake in Jewish custom, and neither do you. <laughs> but if you want to partake in Jewish custom, we can do that together. You see, they've already agreed together as Jews that the Gentiles don't have to do this. In Acts chapter 15, in the Council of Jerusalem, when the believers got together, here's what they decided. For it seemed good to the, Holy, to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay hands upon you in no greater burden than these essentials. This is to the Gentiles. Ready? That you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication. If you keep yourself free from such, such things, you will do well. By the way, the Jewish council, the Christian believers, decided that this is probably the extent that the, the Gentiles needed to partake in Jewish custom. That's it. Well, what's happened in 10 years? Again, that fertile ground of rumors and the, the, the false claims of, hey, they don't, they don't have to be Jews has sprung up again. And Paul, again, is reiterating, listen, what we said before is still what we believe today. If you're a Gentile, we don't need you to go through the customs of the Jewish people. That's not for you. But we do ask some certain things. Hey, abstain from fornication, abstain from strangled things, abstain from blood of animals, and you'll do well. By the way, are these actions, I, I'm going to look through this again, maybe I missed it in my study, but does he say if you abstain from these things and, uh, and reject these things, you'll be saved? No, these are not salvific things. These do not save you. These are evidence of salvation. But again, Paul will proclaim, and he will proclaim over and over again, it is by grace you have been saved through faith and not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. So we see that Paul, on the next day, took the men 
purifying himself among them, went into the temple, gave notice of the completion and the sacrifices for each one of them was done. Paul said, I have no problem living under the law. No problem, because I know for a fact I am free in Christ. You may ask today, what does it look like then to be like Paul and be free in Christ? Paul simply had no, it seems like he had no, no issue going back under Jewish law. It didn't phase him for a second. Oh, I'll be a Jew for the Jew. Let me proclaim the gospel in the, in the process. For the unlawful, I'll be unlawful. Let me proclaim the, God, the good news in the process. You know, for us today, sitting here, we have the whole word of God. And we found out through Paul's life, through his writing through the Holy Spirit, that we ourselves live here today free in Christ. I want to let us all know today that we have freedom in Christ. We are so free in Christ that we don't even know it. We don't even know it. We can't even realize it sometimes. We find ourselves so bound to tradition, bound to the things that we find that, okay, I have to do these things so God will be pleased with me. So bound to this idea that we are still working for God's favor. That's what the Jews of the first century found. I need to work for God's favor, work for his glory, for his, for his joy and pleasure in my life. Man, let me free you up right now, faith family. If you are in Christ, you are free. God is fully pleased in you. You know why? Because you're saved in Christ. And if you're saved in Christ, God was fully pleased in Christ. He can be no more pleased and no more displeased in you than he was in Christ. And he was fully pleased in Christ. Let me, sh let me share some words of encouragement for us this morning to be free in Christ. So that as we go out into the world, we could be like the world under the law of God, under the authority of God, live with them in a world that we know is not our own, but we're simply passing through and praise God and give glory to him as we go through this world. You see, the law in which we speak about so often, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, the Jewish tradition, the law was never meant to save. It never was. You see, the law was a tutor. It was a teacher. In Galatians 3, 23-25, it says this, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. By the way, it's not that the faith was not there, but it was going to be revealed in Christ. Remember, they knew it was coming, but they didn't know who it was going to come through. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Faith family, the law that was given to us shows us that we are unbelievers. It shows us that we are sinners. Paul would say, how else would I know I was a sinner unless the law showed me I was a sinner? But oh, the grace of God, through Jesus fully completing the grace and mercy and and the absolute death that we deserved on the cross, he fulfilled the law utterly. It is no longer something that we have to live up to. In fact, we never could live up to it. It was always by grace that we have been saved. I want to let you know that the law is still there to show us to Christ. If you find yourself today trying to live up to the standards of Christ and falling very, very short, yeah, you will. You will never live up to the standards of Christ because he lived a perfect life perfectly glorifying God in everything he said, everything he did, and everything he thought. If you could live up to those standards, fantastic, you can fulfill the law yourself. But I know I'm amongst a group of sinners who has sinned in my life, and I know you have also. So the, the law does not save us. The law shows us to the Savior. 
The law is the tutor that drives us to Christ. It reveals our need for a Savior and points us to the grace made available in Christ. See, the gospel of grace is also something we need to know to be free in Christ. Not only are we not under the law, but we're free in the grace of Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For by grace, you've heard me say it many times today, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself is a gift of God, not of works, so that any one of us can boast. Faith family, we're made free by grace and grace alone. The grace that was in Christ given to us, freely given to us, has set us free from the bonds of slavery of sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves of this world. We ourselves are free to glorify God and glorify him rightly. Our salvation is not based on our own works. Praise the Lord is not based on our own works, but in God's unmerited favor towards us. We are justified by Christ and Christ alone in everything he accomplished in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And in that, and in that gospel of grace, we now can obey God rightly. You see, before God showed us grace, before we were saved, we were enemies of God. I don't know about you, but I've never seen an enemy obey that which was in authority over it. They're called rebels for a reason, because they rebel against authority. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Faith family, if we were in Christ, if we have been saved by his miraculous grace, we will keep his commandments. You see, we no longer have to have the law of the thumb over us saying, do these things. We joyfully step into obedience of God because we want to glorify our faith, our Father, by obeying Him. Obedience to God's commands is a response to His grace, not a prerequisite for our salvation. You see, we can't obey God and expect salvation. It's the other way around. We are saved, and therefore we obey God. Very, very different. Our obedience stems from our love of God, not from our legalistic tendencies. One of the things I tell my kids all the time, I want them to obey me, not because I make them, and believe me, I can make them, but I want them to obey me because they love their Father, and they love obeying me. Faith family, this is the same as our Heavenly Father. We obey because we love Him. And last thing about freedom in Christ is this, we, are free, we have freedom without boundaries. Galatians 5.13, For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. You see, our freedom does not give us the boundary of, hey, I don't have to do anything uh, I don't want to do. It gives us boundaries. It's like playing a game. You ever played a game with a six or seven-year-old, and they said, let me tell you what the rules are? And you start to play the game, and after about two or three minutes, the rules change, and you go, wait a second now. That's a lot of fun, isn't it? Our freedom is not like that. Our freedom in Christ does not get changed every single minute of the, game, of the day. Our freedom is in boundaries. It's under the authority of God. And it's under the obedience of God, in the grace of God, because the law has shown us that that's how it is. Our freedom in Christ should never be an excuse for living self-indulgent. If we are a people who want to indulge in ourself because, oh, I'm free in Christ, we are wrong for that. We are not a self-indulgent people. We are a people that solo deo gloria for God's glory alone. We are called to serve one another, to love one another, to fill, fulfill the law of Christ by loving you, by loving me, and by loving the stranger and sharing the gospel of Christ as we go. Faith family, we're going to see this journey of Paul as he finds himself bound in the, not only under the Jewish law by choice, 
but also the Roman law by choice. He's going to choose to go to Caesar. I want to see Caesar. I'm going to appeal to the highest authority on this land. Not because he had to, but because he chose to. He was bound by the very grace that saved him to go and proclaim the gospel. But yet he was free in Christ to go and do these things. This journey we're going to go on with Paul is going to be an amazing journey. We're going to see a man who says the gospel is of the very most importance to me. Salvation of the people is what I want to see. And he's going to absolutely give his life for that cause. Faith family, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if God has called you to go to the mission field. I don't know if God has called you to give your life for the sake of the gospel. I don't know those things. You do. But as I read through this testimony of Paul, it was a man who said the things he did. I will become all things to all people so that God may be glorified. As followers of Christ, we must embrace this example of Paul. In our Christian journey, first of all, fellowship plays a big role. Man, how discouraging would it be for Paul to go place to place and the, and the believers just never encourage him. This world is dark enough without us beating up on one another. We must fellowship with one another in a Christian way, in a godly way, knowing that it's encouraging one another, praising God for the works he has done. Additionally, we also have to understand the, the balance between grace and the law. We are not held to the law. We are under grace. But at the same time, it may be beneficial for us to reach those people, to step under the law so they may understand, they may understand where grace abounds. We aren't guided by the law. We are guided by the Spirit. We walk in faith. And we experience freedom in Christ, freedom in Christ that has secured us for all eternity. Faith family, if you're sitting here today and you are bound by the very grace of God, just like Paul was, I call us to go and be the, be the men and women who proclaim the gospel wherever we go. We glorify the name of Jesus because there's no other name to glorify. And we give God all the glory because it is his and his alone. Faith family, I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you heard this and you go, yeah, yeah, I've heard this before. I need to glorify God. But are you doing it? You see, this, this message is not a message of let's just all partake and say we do these things and go from here. It is a message of action. Paul does not say I'm going to do these things and just go off by the wayside. He does them. He does these things. Faith family, we are a people of, we are, we are called to go and do these things. Go and make disciples of all nations. Maybe you're here today and you never heard the very idea that I can be free in Christ. You've been trying to uphold the law. I'm trying not to be a bad person. I'm trying to make sure that my good outweighs the bad. You're going to be on that scale forever because your good will never outweigh your bad. Christ outweighs your bad. As soon as he's on your side of the scale, as soon as we accept him as our Lord and Savior, that scale is infinitely and forever in our favor because God and God alone saves. Today, maybe you've never heard that Jesus died the death that you deserve. Maybe you never heard that he lived a life that you could never live. Maybe you never heard that he resurrected from the dead for your sake. Today could be the day of salvation. As I preach today, I cannot save a single person in here. It is Christ and Christ alone. If the very Spirit of God is calling you right now to be saved, I say cry out to him. Ask him to forgive you and to save you. And the Word of God says that he will. Well, faith family, for those of us who are in Christ, what do we do in response? If you would please stand with me. Every week we do this. Every week we do this. We come to the table. 
we come and we partake in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. You see, it's a reminder that we are not saved by the works that we have done. We have been saved by the blood of Christ. And we come and we partake joyfully because we have been given to it. Man, what a joy it is to know that it's not us, but Christ who paid the price for our sins. And as we partake in the broken body, we remember that it's his body that was broken, not ours. When we partake in the, the, the fruit of the vine, it is his blood that was shed and not ours. What joy we can have in that. T today, we uh, here at Christ the King, we partake in what we call a close communion. If you are a born-again believer, baptized in the name of Jesus, baptized in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask for you to partake in, partake in the Lord's Supper with us. If you do not call him Lord, if you have not been baptized, you're not a baptized believer, I ask, I urge you, by the word of the Lord, to abstain from the Lord's Supper. This is not singling you out. This is not calling you, saying you're a bad person. This is the reality that you've pushed away from the very table of God. You've pushed away from salvation freely given. And this will be a testament that you have pushed away from the very God who's offered you salvation. Not because I've asked you to, but because God has asked you to. Because the word of the Lord says, do not partake if you are not a believer. Paul does tell us that we partake in a worthy manner. Let us not go to the table in, in an unworthy manner. So let us take a moment right now and go before our God and King and ask forgiveness of the sins that are, we're harboring in our heart. The jealousy, the anger, the, the bitter, whatever it may be. And by the way, if it's against a brother in this very room, a sister in this very room, go to them and ask forgiveness of them. But I want us to go before our Lord and our King and get and ask him to make us right before we partake in the Lord's Supper. So let's take a moment in silent prayer.